What's going on, everyone? Today, I want to do a little bit of a different introduction. Um, today, we have Gareth Arnell on the podcast. Gareth was a stud that I was able to meet out the Navy SEAL swim in New York. A lot of you knew about that swim. You saw the Instagram post. You might have even seen it on, on national news, local news up there in the New York area, whatever it may be. But uh, Ray Cash Care, former Navy SEAL, introduced me to Gareth, said I should have him on the podcast. I was really excited about that because if Ray is telling me that someone needs to be on the show, they're, they're going to be on the show. Now, that's not to say every single person is going to, you know, is someone that I want to be on the show because there, there were a couple people that Ray did introduce me to that I wasn't super excited about having on the, the podcast. But when he, when he introduced me to Gareth and we, me and him got to talk about, about life, you know, my background, his background, our goals, different things like that. And, and right there on that boat, we started talking about how we could help each other. I knew that this is not only going to be a great guest, he's going to be a great friend. Gareth is a stud. Uh, he's helped me out. He's, he's already put me in touch with a couple of guys for um, potential opportunities. I won't dive any further into detail. But anyways, guys, Follow Gareth. Listen to what he says. He talks a lot about jujitsu, his his life, you know, playing rugby, and politics as a whole today. I know the last couple of weeks has been kind of crazy with everything going on in Afghanistan, but Gareth drops some knowledge. Give it a listen. Love you guys. Let's get it. All right, man. We are live, Gareth. It's good to have you, brother. It is very good to have you, um, everybody. Again. Riley Williams, host of Hot Mike's podcast today. We have Gareth. Gareth, do me a favor. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, let's just get right into it. Yeah, absolutely. So name is Gareth Arnell. Uh, hail from Suffolk County, Long Island. Uh, born and raised there until um, I was about 18. Then went down to school in uh, North Carolina and, uh, you know, played some rugby down in North Carolina as well as overseas in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Um, after sustaining a pretty substantial uh, neck injury um, while in Argentina, uh, transitioned into a more passive, uh, less aggressive sport. So I thought uh, and found that jujitsu, um, where I didn't realize the emphasis was on making your opponent tap, nap, or snap on a regular basis. Well, that jujitsu led to boxing. Boxing led to mixed martial arts, um, mixed martial arts, Muay Thai, and then kind of fused them all together and, you know, fought a little while um, here in the United States as well as overseas, uh, representing the United States in a hand-to-hand uh, -hand fighting championships, which is kind of a derivative of combat sambo. And in 2018, went over to uh, Minsk, Belarusia, uh, with the American flag on my back and, and fought some top-tier Russian talent um, in Eastern Europe. Um, so most people take European getaways to uh, Saint-Tropez and Positano, and I went to the epicenter of the former Soviet Union and fought uh, bloodthirsty Russians in their homelands in front of their home crowd. So not the most logical decision, uh, but it was an amazing opportunity. And how cooler um, of, of a way to do that that um Memorial Day weekend, uh, go over and, and fight for the memory and honor of those who we've lost serving in uniform. Um, so it was kind of a poignant and profoundly special trip. Um, but on top of that, 
you know, that's kind of, I guess, my athletic endeavors. Um, also actively a uh, jujitsu competitor, uh, mixed martial arts competitor, um, although I've had a little bit of a layoff. And, um, you know, as a black belt in jujitsu, I enjoy the uh, teaching side of things as well. So, you know, everyone from children with special needs, kids with Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, to, you know, elite level professional athletes and everyone in between. You know, I firmly believe that jujitsu is for everyone and it should be an inclusive uh, martial art. And it's something that literally saves lives, both from a mental, emotional standpoint, um, but also from a physical, technical standpoint in the sense that it impairs, it imparts in you and, 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 and basically empowers you with the abilities to defend yourself in a life or death you know, altercation. Um, 90% of all fights end up on the ground. And so having the abilities and knowledges to know how to fight on the ground and off your back, um, I think is a skill set everyone should have and everyone should know how to do. Yeah, you know, and, and I'm going to interrupt you there. So speaking, you know, from the law enforcement, you know, experience, I mean, yeah. very rarely are you, are you, are you, you know, standing up and squaring off of someone? I mean, that's very, very rarely, right? I mean, most of the fights, and this is from a law, law enforcement capacity, right? Most of those fights, it's going to be you grab someone's hand, they freak out, they, it's just in that moment, they lose their, you know, they lose their shit, boom, they try to pull their hand, and then things, that's when they escalate. But it's the same way with, with with people, if you're out if you're out at a bar, and I'm not advocating fighting at a bar, but that's just the general. When people think of fights, they think at the bar, or whatever, right? Even those fights, you're not going to get. I mean, what ninety percent of the time, you're not going to get two guys that know what they're doing standing there throwing hands. They're going to be like, "Well, shit, I don't know what to do," so they're going to grab each other. Yeah, and that's yeah. It turns into a hockey fight real quick, you know. Grab fabric and start uppercutting the face of your adversary. That usually happens. But then after that, there's that interface where there's an exchange where one guy is holding on to the other. The guy is getting held on to doesn't know what the hell to do. And the guy that's holding on for dear life really doesn't know what the fuck he's doing either. And so you have this stalemate of sorts. Um, usually a guy will fucking slip on the bar soap floor, maybe a Heineken bottle. Then the fight out rounds up on the ground. And if you get put on your back, especially if you hit your head on the ground upon landing on that surface and you're borderline concussed and now some dude, even if he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing, is now blasting you in the face and smashing your head off the fucking ground like a fucking caveman, uh, which anyone could really do. It's pretty rudimentary to do that. Then you could find yourself in a world of hurt and you may lose your life in the process. So just having the ability to control the clinch or the exchange where you have one underhook, one overhook and knowing the physical processes of how to win a fight. My friend Chad Lyman, uh, 30 year SWAT officer, uh, creator of C4C, which is uh, code for concepts. It's a curriculum of defensive tactics um, for law enforcement, military personnel, but also for civilians, you know, from the soccer mom to, you know, the top tier special forces soldier and everyone in between. And it basically goes over the three premises of how to control and win a fight. Uh, the first one is to break someone's posture, right? If you can break their posture and you can off balance them, then you're creating an, an advantage in that situation, in that altercation. Um, if you can uh, break their structure, meaning you can compromise their center of gravity, you can get their shoulder blades over or above their hip line, then you have the ability to control their body in space. And, and thirdly, um, angle, right? If you can create an angle of attack and create a superior angle of advantage over your adversary, uh, you can couple those three components together and win almost every altercation that you may find yourself in. Obviously, there's exceptions to the rule, but for the most part, going against an untrained uh, assailant, um, you're going to win. You're going to win the majority of those altercations. Now, that goes into the physical kind of concepts-based approach to fighting, right? 
Um, but then there's the physiological process. And if you're not locking horns with someone on a regular basis, you don't know what it's like to have that fight or flight response and not be able to control your norepinephrine and not be able to control your stress cortisol levels in the heat of an engagement. And now your heart rate is beating out of your chest. You're burning more dissolved oxygen than, than you can. And now you become inefficient. Well, then you're going to eventually gas out. You're probably going to lose the fight. So I think just getting comfortable uh, in a hand-to-hand combat scenario on a regular basis is super important, uh, not only for the physical benefits, the physiological benefits, but also for the mental and emotional benefits. And, you know, speaking for someone who, you know, I didn't always have the most confidence as an athlete. I didn't always have the most self-esteem. I didn't really have self-efficacy and belief in my abilities. And, you know, we can go into that later on as to why that was, but jujitsu was the first sport where I started to gain confidence. I really started to feel as though I had uh, belief in my ability and I could, I could win altercations. I could win the life or death experience where some dude is trying to assault me on the street. Uh, up until that point, you know, I did some, uh, Ishinru when I was a kid, I, I had, uh, you know, played rugby, lacrosse, football, but in actuality, I didn't know how to fucking fight. You know, I probably couldn't punch my way out of a wet paper bag if I tried. And even if my life depended on it, it wasn't until jujitsu gave me those fucking almost superpower like uh, abilities that I was able to, you know, tussle with guys that are were 100 pounds heavier than me, you know, neutralize the the long range knockout abilities of a boxer. Right. Uh, you know, from a security standpoint, you know, take on multiple people at once and emerge from the altercation unscathed, all the while controlling those three individuals who were trying to fucking beat me up or jump me. So it wasn't until I really started to see the practical application of what I was learning and what I was investing my time into on the mats through blood and sweat equity, that I really started to see the reward. And then I was like, man, I need to share this with people. Um, so I started, you know, teaching kids with special needs and Down syndrome and is with cerebral palsy. You know, I got a, a great friend, Anthony Seraldo, who's uh, got muscular dystrophy, you know, he's wheelchair bound, but he doesn't let that stop him, man. He fucking trains every day. He's got a little push pedal bike that he uses to strengthen his upper body. Um, he's been teaching himself how to walk. Um, and just really through jujitsu, I feel like he's, he's opened up, uh, an infinite possibility of potentials that maybe before jujitsu, he wouldn't have known he had, you know, being someone who's wheelchair bound and, you know, has constantly been treated like a victim or has constantly been treated like, you know, they're helpless when in actuality, he's more confident and capable than most fucking people are, you know, that, that meet- man up. That pisses me off, man, watching, you know what I mean? And I understand it's a, it's a general thing that happens in the world, right? There's always going to be bullies and stuff like that. And I'll just tell you right now, growing up, it wasn't like, okay, so my whole class, I'm from a small town in Missouri. We all got along very well, yes. right? But there were some times, I mean, and listen, I, I'm not going to sit here and act like I wasn't one of the guys, you know, I was one of the, one of the athletes in a small town school. So, I mean, we, we weren't super, we didn't pick on the kids that had those issues, but we kind of picked on, you know what I mean? And, and it's something I've with for a long like I, I i've never really dealt with it right until the last couple of years just kind of ate at me and so anyways i just whenever i see people you know in those wheelchairs i don't know if you watch ray's instagrams where he he does yeah. his push-ups so he's got that uh, i can't remember the, the young man's name that gets on and he does the push-ups he's got uh he's got palsy he gets yep. down and does his push-ups man i love it i uh, love it and 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 now you know speaking to the jujitsu side of things and talking about the um uh, the confidence will open up, become, they, they become different people. They really do. And, and they are different people. You know, you, I've been a cop and I've trained with cops, right? 
on on the ground or whatever. It's very rudimentary. You go yes. and you, you start dealing with people that can beat your ass all day yeah. long. Most respectful people, nicest people. They're yeah. not there to try to like make you look like an idiot. They're there to say, hey, th and they're calling me sir all the time. I mean, these kids are like 23 years old, right? Yeah. And they're 140 pounds and they're just, they're, they're locking my ass up and, you know, and they're right. super respectful. Yeah. But uh, my son, we just put our son in it. And uh, he, awesome. uh, he is seven years old. Okay. Loves it. I mean, yeah. he, from the time that he started to now, yeah. he, he's just a different kid. I mean, at home, you know, he's, he's just a stud, man. And, and we tell him all the time, we're like, hey, listen, um, you, you keep acting out, we're going to tell Cunny. Cunny is his coach. He's from, from, from Oahu. Okay. Because uh, Cunny doesn't put up with that shit. Yeah. Right? And the reason that I chose that gym was because when we first went there for his first class, there was some little kid that was just talking and talking over him. Yep. Cunny walks over and he grabs the kid by his ear. And he says, and everyone, this is at Wasatch Combat Sports in Orem, Utah. He grabs him, and I don't know what he said, but he said something to this kid. Kid straightened up right there. No more issues. I mean, even today, I haven't ever seen another issue. And from there, I was like, okay, so there's discipline here. He doesn't put up with nonsense. I love that. And now my son, you know, he's wanting to come home, and he's wanting to do stuff that he's never wanted to do in his life leading up to this point. He wants to sit down, and he wants to roll. He's dad. Dad, will you show me the Americana? Dad, can you show me how to do takedowns? You know what I mean? And, and dude, I just, I love it. I mean, it's, it's a life-changing thing, especially for my son and also for me to sit there and watch, watch this go on. I, I love it, man. Jiu-Jitsu yeah. jiu is phenomenal. And I see how people can use that as an outlet, both, you know, for their mental health, people going through things. Phenomenal tool. Yeah, it's such a good teaching tool. And, uh, you know, I've never been to Japan, so I don't, I don't know the accuracy of this, but um, based on some of my research about the Japanese culture and, and their pillars of Bushido and their respect-oriented warrior culture, um, for the first couple of years of, of pedagogy and study, you know, kids learn how to respect their teachers. They learn how to open doors for people. They learn, uh, you know, the integral components of being courteous and being kind and being humble and being gracious and treating the person on the street who maybe have, has a physical handicap with compassion and care and helping those people if, if they do see others struggling. Whereas here, I feel like we fucking just were so brainwashed to be in our own lane and it's turning into such a self-serving, self-loathing society that People don't care. People could care less about what's going on in Afghanistan, a lot of people. And it's fucking infuriating. And jujitsu, uh, I think, in a lot of ways, gives children and grown-ass adults who just never got those harsh, real-life lessons of being humble and being egoless and treating others compassionately. You know, you take the fucking jock who, you know, was put on a pedestal his whole athletic career, and you throw him on the mats, and for the first time in his life, he's getting fucking strangled by a chick who's 100 pounds soaking wet. That is a humbling, very uh, just ego-killing experience. And I was guilty of that, you know? Like, I was always pretty humble, but, man, it wasn't until I was getting fresh off of uh, a rugby, uh, you know, experience in Argentina. I almost broke my neck, got into jiu-jitsu, found a small jiu-jitsu academy in Wilmington, North Carolina, called All Rules MMA, uh, run by Jonathan Uscata guy. Um, judo champ from Venezuela and a top level black belt under Lucas Slippery. And he had, you know, two junior uh, female students in the class. And one was 
Hope was maybe about 125, 130. Natalie, maybe about a buck 15. And literally for an hour and a half, two hours, it seemed like a fucking eternity. I got ragged out, strangled with my own limbs, left there in a puddle of my own sweat and blood. And after an hour and a half, I was like, I got to learn this fucking ninja murder yoga skill because I am so inept. I'm so ill equipped to handle myself in a street fight altercation. And whatever this technique is that I just learned, I need to absorb as much of it as possible because this shit works. And it's not like some five finger death punch, hocus pocus, fucking, you know, uh, fantastical, you know, karate system for master Ken where everyone gets a black belt and it's a McDojo like experience where you pay $75 extra a month and you get awarded your brown belt in two weeks. No, like you literally have to bleed and sweat into the mats in order to get promoted in jujitsu. At least that's how it should be. That's how a legitimate academy runs. And through that toil of daily sacrifice, sweat, hardship, adversity, pain, fucking sacrifice of the highest caliber, getting joints and fingers fucking broken, but still showing up to practice. Nonetheless, having your ears fill up with fluid and fucking bleeding and having to lance your own fucking earlobe with a fucking razor-sharp hypodermic needle because you want to drain the fucking congealed blood out of it so you can fight the next day. Until you go through those experiences, it's very, uh, it's very easy to, like, you know... Uh, it's just, it's kind of easy to dismiss, right? And and I feel like people don't understand the life lessons that are taught on the mats at a jiu-jitsu academy. And they see guys in the UFC, girls in the UFC, fighting on any given Saturday in a cage. They're like, oh, these are modern gladiators. These are bloodthirsty savages who, you know, have nothing else to fall back on. And so they choose a life of prize fighting. But in actuality, I mean, you, you can speak for it. You meet some of the most intellectually stimulated, enlightened people that you can ever hope to walk paths with uh, in life at jiu-jitsu academies. You know, you have doctors, lawyers, you know, dudes who are lifeguards, guys who, you know, clean schools, you know, for their profession. You have everyone in between, and, and it brings people together. And it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter your net worth. It doesn't matter who you are. It just matters uh, how you treat others, your eagerness to learn, and your level of respect that you show the people at the academy. And I love the fact that those are the only prerequisites. And you show up. You work hard. You don't complain. You fucking get the job done. You don't shy away from the tough roles. You find the baddest, biggest, most technical strangle artist in the room, and that's the person you choose to roll with. Uh, and if you do that, you will have a great experience and it'll be one of the best things you could ever do in life. And as speaking said, of that, Gareth, that's why one of these days I'm going to roll with you and have you whoop my ass and I'm going to put, I'm going to make a video of it and it's going to dude, it's going to be fun. We ought to, we ought to get a, we ought to get Austin Alexander out there when we were talking to Austin, yeah. get Austin somewhere and have you just kick our asses for two that hours. Be great. October 1st through 4th, we are doing the veterans retreat down in Wilmington, North Carolina. So we'd love to have you guys down there with us. Um, still waiting, uh, Tyler Boone, um, former Marine and owner of uh, Crest Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Hampstead, North Carolina, as well as Nick Kumalastos, uh, good friends of mine. They'll be spearheading it. And so I'm just waiting for them to pump out all the info uh, and the schedule. And once they do, I'll, I'll post that up. I'll send it your guys' way. And would love to have you guys down there to, to join us. It'll be uh, kind of a surf jitsu experience for uh, four days in, in North Carolina. So it'll be awesome. It'll be a That's good time. 
Yeah, exactly, man. And one one of the things that I thought about when you were just explaining all of that, you're talking about getting ragdolled by the by the females. I've I haven't had to roll with any of the females yet because our class is huge. It's okay. uh, it's a big gym. There's a lot of guys that go there, so the girls yeah. usually go with the girls, guys with guys, and a lot of us are fairly new to it. And I'll uh, tell you right now, going back to say, you know the same thing that you said about your whole life, you were very good athlete. I mean, let's, let's not, let's not, let's put away humility for just a second here. We were both very good athletes growing up. Right. And we got some recognition. Things were good. The first time I went to a jujitsu gym, I'm not talking police Academy. You get a guy that got certified to be a DT instructor. That's not the kind of jujitsu I'm talking about. I'm talking about the technical stuff that you do, dude. I went, even the guys that weren't Brown belts or whatever it may be. These are very baseline guys. I've been doing it for seven months. Yeah. Gareth, I've never, I've never been more exhausted in my entire life. And we're doing three minute rolls. And I'm like, I'm, and I'm a big enough guy where I could lay on them, spread them out. I was like, yeah. I'm, I'm going to fucking die. I'm going to, I can't, I, I can't do anything here. I can't, I just, I got to like prone them out. I just, that was it, man. And I got done. I laid down. I mean, I'm I'm sitting like this, you you know, on the mat, sweating blood from my nose coming down. This other guy's blood from my on my craziest experience of my life. One of the one of the greatest experiences. You know what I mean? It brings you down to a baseline that I think everybody else is on in that gym, where you can fuck up. That's the that's the biggest thing is there. I think that a lot of people don't go to a, a gym to lift because they're afraid what other people think what you look like. Yeah. First off, nobody gives a shit what you look like at the gym, unless you're doing some asinine stupid thing. No one gives a shit what you do, as long as you're there. Perfect. Now it's the same thing with jujitsu, dude. No. First off, everybody loves to see you there. Hundred percent. Everybody, they're like, oh, that's awesome. Our class is growing. I get to I get to roll with some new people. Maybe I can learn something else. Because after a while, you get to know kind of the same things these guys like to do. You know whether they like to try, you know, a Darce or an American, and you, you get to know how to how to defend it a little bit. And so when yep. you get some new people, that's how I view. It. I'm like, this is this is going to be awesome. I'm excited for this. But my problem, yep. Gareth, is that there's not, we don't have any any black belts. We have a yep. purple belt that's just about to be a brown belt, and I love him. His name's Cunny. He's the he's Kai's instructor as well. He's the owner cool. of the gym. Very very cool guy. Very good guy. Yes. But as far as jujitsu goes. Um, yeah. he, he's a purple belt and he still knows his shit. But my thing is I want to, I, I want to learn from the best. And so that's why I asked you guys. Okay. So to, to take a break here, Gareth and I, we met on a, we met on a fucking boat on the Hudson river with drinks in our hands with how many, how many straight killers did we have in there, Gareth, uh, on that boat with us? Careers row of uh, tip of the spear, like individuals. Um, and we were just home to be amongst them, uh, you know, if someone, let's just put it this way. If someone would have came onto that boat to try some shit, it, it wouldn't have gotten past the door. Fuck, just, fuck around and find out. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, so yeah, so Gareth and I we met on the boat. Um, Ray Cat, Ray Cash Care, former Navy SEAL. That's how he introduces himself to everybody. He introduced us, but yeah, man, it was. I don't, it's a very, very humbling experience, and it's something that that I think everybody, everybody should do. And I'm, I'm going to say every single law enforcement uh, officer in any capacity, whether you're in corrections. Um, you know, on the road, you're doing federal stuff or whether you're doing executive protection. And we're going to get into your stuff here in just a minute on the EP stuff. Such a valuable skill to have. Such oh, a valuable skill to have. It's funny you mentioned the Dars choke. I was actually hanging out with the inventor of the Dars choke, Mr. Joe DRC, uh, this past Saturday. I, we, I saw your post. 
tethered. Yeah, he was he was the uh, the Leo on on the job, and and I was running the uh, the event um, with Flo Rida and, and some other well known uh, musical artists. But it was a charity event to, to raise money for cancer research, and so uh, you know, my business partner Luke McNamara, who you'll be meeting uh, this week up up in Syracuse. I'm excited about that. Um, we're there, and Joe and, and our other friend Eugene with the two officers uh, present on site, and so. I was like, Joe, you got to fucking put me in the darts, man. He's like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, do it. Fucking do it. So he locks it in, fucking hits me with a, a mean darts, and uh, nothing nothing better than getting strangled by your own fucking arm and the limb of the inventor of one of the most notable, famed, and effective submissions uh, the sport of jiu-jitsu has ever seen. Put it up there with the Kimura, the Americana. I mean, hands down, like, there's nothing more crushing, especially if it's like an MMA experience where you're cracking someone in the head. They're somewhat concussed. You see that little portal of, of entry where you can just punch your arm through, create a triangle and just fucking squeeze until the life dissipates from their fucking soul. Uh, it's a beautiful submission to watch. And so to get choked in a dars by the creator of that submission this past weekend was an honor of the highest caliber. I think I peaked on Saturday. I don't know if my life will be ever as great um, from that point on. So that's awesome, man. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, yeah, I saw I saw your Instagram post and and everybody you guys need to you guys need to look up Gareth on social media. Gareth, where can they find you on Instagram? What's your handle? GTH Consulting is my social media handle for Instagram, and that's kind of the main one I use. So that's that's cool, man. That's cool. Yeah, and and give him a follow. He puts a lot of stuff out there because Gareth is Gareth is is involved. And Gareth, we can edit if I say something, we can edit it out. Oh. But he's in, he's involved in a lot of different things. So he does. He, he, do you own your title company or what's, what's yeah, your do, uh, freelance title work for Langdon title insurance company, uh, based in New York. Um, you know, title is vital in a lot of ways. Most people don't know about it, but title insurance basically guarantees the title of a property, um, from the seller side to the purchaser side during a real estate transaction. Um, so we do the title searches, lien searches. We basically generate the owner's policies, um, for our clients, walk them through the process from start to finish all the way to the closing table or actually close out the policy for them uh, on their closing date um, with their real estate attorneys, broker, their real estate agent. And, um, you know, I take a lot of pride and satisfaction in that um, as it is in a lot of ways congruent with, uh, you know, executive protection, private security. You know, basically instead of safeguarding themselves and their families, I'm safeguarding their homes and the ability of them to have home ownership. Um, we also do that for banks. So we uh, insure um, mortgages for the life of the loan, uh, basically to insure against any liens, clouds, judgments on title. Um, and on top of that, I do the closings for those insurance policies. So refinances, um, transactions, of purchase or sale of homes, apartments, um, condominiums. And, um, you know, I, I enjoy doing it. It's, it's a, it's a kind of a, uh, passion project that I that I like doing because it's it's a need it's not something that people just want it, it is absolutely a necessity and so yeah we also have a large school of continuing education so we have over 50 certified classes through the state of New York which helps realtors keep their licenses active free of charge um, all we ask is that you show up you know you network and uh, you know when you guys need title insurance you seek Langdon title as your go-to source for title insurance policies so that's what I do on the real estate side of things um, and then on the, uh, do you want me to kind of, you know? Yeah. Finish? So, so just to, I mean, and I think, you know, kind of where I'm going to be going here. Cause listen, a lot of people that hear executive protection, they want to know, they understand that they're not going to be, especially my audience. They know that they're not going to get all the details right on 
everything that goes into it. But if you could speak in, in generality about your, um, about what, about the executive protection that you do and, and, and I'm going to go ahead and interject really quick and just say, you, you made a really good point. You said the reason why you like it is because people need it. It's something that, that people, they, they need to have. It helps people. And I'll tell you, that's one of the things for me that I kind of struggle with, right? The podcast, I really like it because eventually say three, four, five years down the road, it starts to get, you know, some traction. People can, you know, they can come to that and they can say, wow, this is, you know, there, I, I get, I can, I can learn quite a few things from this, not for me, but the people that I bring on, right? Because the people I bring on, I don't bring them on unless I feel like they have value. Okay. And, and Ray introduced me to a couple of people this weekend where I was just, he's like, you need to have them on your show. And so I talked to him for a second, but for me, it, you know, I won't throw out any names. We can talk about it later, but it just didn't fit what I, my goal, right? I just didn't think that, yeah, they might've done one cool thing, but that's about it. I can't speak to them about every, you know, about a bunch of other stuff. Whereas you, you're very, uh, I say multidimensional, but you've got everything else that you're, that you're doing. And so for me, I struggle because I want to find, I'm trying to find something that I am truly passionate about. The law enforcement thing was good, but I had a situation that I'll talk to you about off the air that happened that kind of pushed me out of it. Right. Yeah. So, so can you speak to your executive protection? I mean, how did that, how'd you, first off, how'd you get into it and just explain everything about it, man. I'm going to shut up for a minute yeah. and let you go. Yeah. So, uh, you know, got into security work, uh, at 18 years old um, and started out like most people do, you know, bouncing and doing security uh, for nightclubs, uh, for bars, restaurants, uh, and, you know, worked on Fire Island, which, uh, you know, for those of you who don't know, it's a little barrier island off the coast of Long Island. And, you know, just the bar I worked at, um, I'm not going to mention any names, so I don't want to throw them under the bus. Great spot, but it was literally the last stop um, and the, the, the nightcap place that everyone would go when they're fucking 10 sheets to the wind blacked out drunk and inebriated and so we would basically be babysitting these grown-ass adults in their most belligerent fucked up state and so yeah you know everything from you know stopping guys or sniffing cocaine on the fucking bathroom sink to uh then going back there a second time and he upgraded and, and made himself more clandestine and hidden but instead of sniffing his fucking cheese off the sink he now transfers it to the back stop of the toilet bowl um you know me basically being like listen dude i warned you once i warned you twice like you gotta go this guy proceeds to throw a haymaker at me i throw a little rudimentary slip underneath get him in a rear naked choke and it was at that point where i realized the effectiveness of jujitsu in a bar-like altercation men are sitting rear naked you know proceed to push him out uh someone then you know takes a bear claw in the hand one swift swap around the face. He then falls into the arms of a police officer who then arrests him on the spot and takes him off to jail. So just uh, crazy experiences. And I could write a small little book about the, the, the insane happenings and, and sights and scenes that I saw working in that industry. But, um, you know, from there, transitioned into more executive protection and private security, you know, doing stuff with politicians, you know, mayors, congressmen, congresswomen, um, celebrities. Uh, explain, you know. explain that little transition period. I yeah. mean, it, 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 if how, you know, if you're able to, I don't know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, one of the biggest like transitionary periods was a good friend of mine, Kaz Minot, who owns uh, Metro security agencies, uh, 
you know, 15 year corrections officer, now detective. Um, and, you know, he kind of got me into more of the private security side of things, working with celebrities, working with athletes. Um, and I guess it was 2014 now where I had my first experience where, you know, was, was working a Super Bowl party. So two of our principals that we had to protect, you know, Nikki and Paris Hilton. Paris Hilton had a little DJ set that was prepared for. And my job was to be their, you know, their point of contact as well as their, uh, you know, kind of AIC while they were at this event. Um, you know, kind of saw the glitz and gleam of the celebrity side of things and realized that, yeah, it's cool, but, you know, not really my forte. You know, seeing Justin Bieber roll into this venue, smoking a blunt on a skateboard with a shirt off next to two chains, knocking into people as they fucking horribly tried to skateboard through this massive sea of people. You know, seeing Steven Tyler more fucked up than polio, just mumbling and just stumbling around like a fucking cast member of the walking dead and just i don't want to throw myself under the bus by talking about these celebrities but needless to say just the who's who of celebrity types um and i just saw like kind of a cheesy just like side of things it was a great opportunity I'm, I'm very fortunate for it and and i enjoy it and and i currently still do work in that side of things um i should probably not have you post this because i don't want to get any uh, flack from their agents but um and now currently um security director for a company called Roman Sanford, which uh, does private security, executive protection, um, based in the Hamptons. What was your title again? I'm sorry, Gareth. Uh, Security director of Roman Sanford, which is a veteran-run company, um, an LEO-run company, um, based in the Hamptons, New York City, as well as Miami, Florida. And we provide executive protection services for the 1% of the world's population. So hedge fund managers, corporate executives, um, A-list celebrities, uh, essentially high net worth individuals and their families, you know, providing both estate protection as well as, you know, armed security and mobile protection, you know, wherever they may need to go, you know, whether it be a helicopter arrival at Cabresky Airport, where they then need us to transport them from the airport to their, uh, you know, their domicile, um, traveling with them. You know, I've done stuff down on the Mexican border um, in cartel country, you know, protecting, uh, you know, U.S. ambassadors, um, diplomats and individuals who were down there for political dealings. Um, So everything in between. Um, And then we also do a lot of events security. So uh, the private stuff, the executive protection is more of our sweet spot. That's kind of our specialty. Um, We have a team of about 60 guards who are all well qualified, a lot of whom are black belts or avid practitioners in jujitsu. Uh, we've got a few Green Berets on the staff, uh, a few Air Force pararescue men. So we have all the TAC med and medical support staff that we need to run any size event um, in or out of country. Um, we also have the logistics and the planning side of things and a great uh, cadre of instructors out in uh, Las Vegas, a company called Progressive Force Concepts, um, which does a lot of the training for tier one operations units. Um, they do all of our training in-house for all of our guards um, and basically um, do everything from, you know, uh, you know, the advance all the way to creating, you know, emergency SOPs in the event that we have a casualty, how to get them to and from, uh, you know, a trauma center, how to get them to and from an airfield, um, you know, basically how to preserve, protect, mitigate risk and safeguard the lives of those that we work with um, to the highest capable possible levels uh that that we can provide and um doing so you know courteously with respect and really just kind of uh you know creating ourselves as a company that you know is is the premier organization and premier company that that provides those services for our clientele and their families 
Um, so it's great. You know, I, I enjoy it. it. Gives me a, a sense of purpose. And I enjoy again, you know, safeguarding people, defending people. Um, kind of was always the guy who, if I did get into fight in high school, it was always to, to fight against the bully. You know, to stick up for the smaller kid who was getting picked on. Um, and I think that's kind of my calling in life. You know, so it, it facilitates that and it meshes well with my personality type. And um, you know, we have a great team, but we're always looking to, to onboard great individuals who are highly qualified like yourself. So I, I look forward to having that discussion and, uh, you know, seeing how, how you can be an integral part of our team as well. Yeah, so, man, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely be talking, you know, yeah. in, in the coming yep. days. I know the end of this, this year is getting to be a little bit crazy, but dude, exactly. it's, I, I think that that's something that that's awesome. Right. I, I, everybody loves the idea of executive protection. They love the idea. And when I say executive protection, I don't just mean, you know, Roman Sanford type security. I'm talking like the Benghazi guys, right? And I understand that they were contracted through, you know, agencies and things like that. But still, man, they don't understand the, I don't want to say fear, but they don't understand the, what really goes into it. They don't understand the potential dangers, the potential issues that you may face, right? Mm -hmm. They, I mean, you're telling me that Chris Peranto knew that something was going to happen over in Benghazi that night. I mean, everything was pretty low key up until boom something everything's good till shit goes south right exactly. and when it goes south it goes south hard now yeah. for you i I'd, I'd like to ask you if you've if you've ever had a situation when you're when you're and, and maybe with your position right now maybe you don't do a whole lot of um the, the i hate saying field work that makes it sound like it's a bad mm. thing but you yeah. know you're, you're right there with your high net worth individual have you ever had a situation where you were, where you were like Oh shit. And I don't need names, nothing like that. Have you ever had a situation where you're like, this is yeah. not good. Yeah. I mean, I down in, uh, you know, this was, uh, 2015, I want to say, uh, 2016, 2016, um, was down in uh similar cartel country, basically right outside McAllen, Texas. And, um, was in a, in a pretty hairy spot to the point where, I mean, at low tide, you literally could walk across the Texas Mexican border. And, you know, we were literally, I'd say 200 yards from the, cartel members, uh, you know, lodgings and houses. And, you know, this is where they're basically using as staging points to funnel the human traffic as they crossed into the United States. Um, you know, and just seeing children's clothing, seeing missing children's book bags and toys. And a lot of these children were abducted were killed were sold into to sex trafficking or, you know, just discarded as, as like pieces of human cargo and um you know one of the most alarming things that we heard when we went up there from one of the investigative journalists that was uh was helping us on this mission um was that the women would take birth control for up to three months before they got to the border because they knew once they got in the hands of the cartels they were going to be brutally raped um by the cartel members and these are girls you know ages seven, eight, nine, ten, and up, you know, um, and would be indiscriminately sexually abused by these savages who just view them as objects of lust, you know. Um, and so it was really heartbreaking. And then to see these children pour across the borders, see the ICE agents basically interdict them, and then all them really having to say is we're escaping religious and uh, social persecution. And from that point on, they're basically granted and, and let free to roam into our country untested and just uh, you know unregarded as an issue they just basically you know and sad i feel for them they want to start over and i feel for the people that are trying to escape 
the horrible situations that they're in in Central and South America, and they want to start a new life for their families. But in doing so, they literally risk the lives of their loved ones uh, by, A, traveling thousands of miles across fucking desert, deplorable conditions where starvation and murder and rape are all viable threats. And then to then trust in the cartel members to get their families across the border um, and literally just fucking potentially sacrifice their lives in the process was just heartbreaking. And so, you know, uh, seeing just the human rights violations like firsthand, seeing just the hardships that these people endured, you know, made me very empathetic to them, but also at the same time made me realize the necessity for a systematic process of intaking through legal means the immigrants that want to come to the United States. You know, why should someone be able to cut the line for a family who is trying to escape the same deplorable conditions, but has filed with, you know, the Department of Immigration here in the United States and is waiting for their turn in line? You know, why, why should they have to cut the line for people that are doing it the right way? And then also to risk um, their families' lives the way they do. Um, it, it, it was sad to see. Um, so that was kind of like an eye-opening experience definitely dangerous because we were outnumbered. We were definitely, uh, you know, we had some heavy, you know, uh, spec ops guys with us, but I was unarmed. I mean, I was the fucking tourniquet dude. I was literally dropping pins and locations as we were doing this convoy with, uh, we had a three-star general, four-star general, uh, senators were there with our sheriff sharp, um, from, uh, Wisconsin, I believe a few other people. Um, and we were trying to raise money to basically close, the section of that border outside the Rio Grande River, um, because it is dangerous. Because one of the people that we were with lost her son, uh, a police officer, to an illegal alien who wanted to fucking shoot her son, you know, inhumanely and, and kill him as a police officer. And so now with this open border, it's it's more of a risk than ever. You know, we have this porous border. We have issues in the Middle East that are taking place. We have a huge, you know, immigration issue, and now. Taliban, ISIS, and all these militant Islamic fundamentalist groups are going to take full advantage of our open southern border. And, you know, it's fucking horrible. It, it is literally leaving us vulnerable and ripe for a potential another terrorist attack, the likes of which, you know, September 11th, you know, was. And that's, that's, one, that's one thing that I don't think people understand, right? They think, they think southern border is just the, don't let the Mexicans in. Yeah. It's way... Listen, it's way more in-depth than that. I mean, like you said, man, you start letting Taliban in. I'll tell you right now, this last the last week was and, – and listen, I don't, I don't claim to be super political or anything like that. I try to, I try to not really talk much about it because mm -hmm. people you're – you're never – you can never be right. You can never convince someone, change their mind. And so for me, man, I just, I just try to stay out of it. But this week was the, was the most pathetic um, – form of leadership or most pathetic display of leadership I've ever seen bar none. hundred percent, hundred percent. And to turn our backs on the innocent women and children of Afghanistan, our ANA allies after 20 years of the global war on terrorism and to just fucking tuck tail and run the other way, all the while giving our weapons, our billions of dollars of weapons and ammunition to the fucking enemy so that they can rape, murder, pillage, conscript their females into sex slavery. And, and, and we turn our back. We shut Bagram down. We, we fucking give them Kabul and, and the, the fucking U.S. embassy. And we leave 
thousands of American citizens there to fend for themselves, as well as hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Afghanis to basically be at the mercy and the wrath of a fucking evil, the likes of which no one in the United States could ever fucking comprehend. I can't comprehend it. I never went over there, but I do my research and I know the fucking savagery that takes place with groups like the ISIS and Taliban and Al Qaeda. And, and, and we talked, we talked to Ray and those guys. They, these yeah. guys have seen this stuff face yeah. to face. For and I'll tell you one of those guys, and I won't tell you his name cause I'm not, people don't need to be looking him up, sending him messages, but he was telling me on that ship what it was like to put someone down. Right. Yeah. The, regularly. Yeah. I mean, and he's like, well, listen, Riley, he goes, he goes, you got three boys. What happens if you have a little, what, I mean, he's like, what are you going to do if you have, if, they're, if you're playing outside, they're sitting on the ground and there's a, there's a wolf spider next to them. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to kill it. And he goes, yeah. why? And I said, I just don't want, I, I said, I know they're not poisonous, but if it bites my kid, it's going to hurt him. And you're not going to touch my kid. He goes, that was yeah. what it was like. You're not going to get that close to my guys. You not may not kill them. You hurt them at all. You know what I mean? Enemy is enemy and you're there for a reason. And the Taliban, they don't give a shit, man. They send out their little six-year-old kids holding an RPG. You don't know if that kid really knows how to use it or not because maybe they don't. But, dude, imagine if they do, right? These kids are indoctrinated. I mean, it's just indoctrinated, you know, um, way of life. And it's sad, dude. It's super sad. And I just, now we just, yeah, like you said, we just fucking get up and leave. It's after 20 years. There's so much work, so much sacrifice. Dude, you look at the Marcus Luttrells, the guys that have lost. I mean, how many, first off, how many guys did Marcus lose um, when he was on that, on the side of that mountain in the Kandahar Valley? And then you got everybody that went in to rescue him that got shot down. And it's, and just the, the people that came back, not even with physical ailments, but emotional, mental ailments and the loss of limbs, the loss of life. The, the collateral damage that 20 years of warfare has caused and has irreparably changed millions of lives in the process. And now we're going to fucking let that go in vain and, and, and just fucking abandon our chief ally in the Middle East, just like we're fucking turning our back to Israel, the only democratic fucking country that is literally holding the line from impending extremist Islam and the United States and the democratic Western world. And these motherfuckers, guess what? Who are they going to fucking call on when the enemy's at the gates? They're going to call on guys who are doing private security, executive protection. They're going to call on all the sheepdogs and all the fucking wolves of this country that they were fucking vilifying and labeling as murderers and labeling them. Well, guess what? It's going to be a fucking cold day in hell when the enemy's at the gates and now they have to fucking, you know, accept the fact that, you know, they need the warrior class to defend them and to keep them safe. And that's the thing. That's it's the biggest dichotomy. You know, you have these people who praise Hamas, literally praising Hamas, the same group that if they found out you were gay, you'd get fucking tossed off a three-story building. Or if they found out you had fucking liberal ideologies and maybe you were a lesbian because you wanted to, to choose a partner that wasn't a male as a female, they would fucking stone you to death in the middle of a public square. These people here in the United States do not understand the extreme measures that some of these groups are willing to take. For anyone who does not adhere to their strict, archaic, draconian, Sharia law-like fucking laws and practices. And fuck that, man. Like, they're just cowering to these people, literally cowering and groveling to them. While they take our weapons, they wage jihad, and again, another empire lost in the graveyard of empires, right? We had Alexander the Great, who can never 
successfully wage a campaign in Afghanistan because of the fighting spirit and ferocity of, of not only the warriors they face, but the, the, the mountains and the oppressive conditions of Afghanistan. Then you had the Russians, you know, who, again, became the second great empire to, to be lost in Afghanistan. And then you have the United States who had footholds, who enabled strongholds and democratic ideals and women to, to go to school and educate them themselves and have the ability to, to feed their families and for the first time have equal rights, at least some semblance of equal rights. And now the fucking Taliban is, is taking control and destroying all of those democratic ideals, all those opportunities, all those freedoms, and is literally fucking murdering and raping those same people that for 20 years the allied nations fucking bled for to protect. It, 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 it's, it's sickening. Man. It makes me sick. And, and I understand you and I, we didn't serve overseas. We've everybody, everybody knows that we don't claim to, but yeah. what do you, I mean, we know enough, we know enough, we know plenty of people have damn near died over there in the worst ways imaginable. Now, what do you think is the next step for the United States? What do you think that they're going to do, especially with this leadership? I mean, do you think that they're going to be like, oh, fuck, whoops, and then try to backtrack? I mean, what can they do, right? First thing they need to do is they need to take hold of Kabul. They need to take hold of the U.S. Embassy. They need to take hold of the airfield. And they need to fucking put boots on the ground and use the fucking Air Force and use, you know, listen, I'm not a subject matter expert on military strategy, but, you know, you meet a stray dog on the street and you grovel and you show fear to that dog. Will that dog ever fucking respect you? No, hell no. You have to have a fucking firm stance. You have to show that you are not someone to be fucked with and put that animal in their place. It's the same way you have to treat these fucking Taliban pieces of shit. Like they, they're literally laughing at us. We, we have been humiliated by the lack of leadership. We're the laughing stock of the fucking world right now because of how the commander in chief just pulled the troops out. Yes, we didn't need full involvement, but leave soldiers there. Leave the airfield. Safeguard the weapon caches. Don't just abruptly pull out, leave all the weapons, leave the airfield, leave the embassies, and leave a lot of American lives high and dry with no protection or support to, to be unable to defend themselves. And then our allies, the Afghani people, the millions of people, the women and children and men who literally are being slaughtered and, and nothing is being done. And, and now I see groups that are, that are you know veterans. I know the Marines are over there and the Army units are still over there. Uh, which is awesome. Like we need more people to volunteer. Fuck. I would love to go over there and help. I would love to, to go over there and do whatever I could to help, you know, feed people and provide them food and fuck. I would fucking engage with the Taliban motherfucker any day. I would be honored. I would fucking bleed into that sand any day. You know why? Because it would be a sacrifice worthwhile. And that's what I try to tell my friends and those who have served is that their sacrifice wasn't in vain. It was to protect for 20 plus years the ideals of democracy and to safeguard those individuals, those innocent children, those innocent women and, and their families from the wrath of evil, the likes of which no American can ever conceptualize unless they've been over there. I can't conceptualize it, but it wasn't in vain. And I, and I, I know there's a lot of people hurting. I know there's a lot of people that we know that are struggling with this. And I just want them to know that there's patriots like you and I who care about their sacrifice. It was worthwhile. It was valued. And the lives of their brothers and sisters who were lost over there um, did not go in vain because for 20 something years, you guys kept those people safe. And that is commendable. That is extremely admirable. And fuck these puppet politicians. Uh, 
it's them, it's not you, and any one of you guys I know would love to go over there and take the fight to the hearts, minds, and souls of the enemy. This is um, this is one thing about the, and I'm not going to get, you know, well, I will, you know, I I do support Trump. There's a reason why I talk to this 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 certain audience, right? And it's not because they're Trump supporters, whatever it may be. It's because they're America supporters, right? First and foremost, that's, you know, and, and their country is so important to them. So I mean, it's I get a kick out of talking to people like that where. They're trying to they're trying to save their country. They're trying to help their country. They're trying to help other people, right? I mean, they're you're not sitting there like listen. All I'm saying is that Trump and his administration, that shit would have never flown. Not for not for a single second. I have met I've met Trump's very good friends. One of them lives in Pennsylvania. Actually, I need to put you in touch with him. He's a very, 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 very good individual. I think you and him would get along very well. Very hot, extremely high net worth individual. So, I mean, for multiple reasons, we all need to meet to meet up together, go out. Yeah. There. Anyways, but yeah, man, he, he, you know what I mean? It just would have never happened ever. There's, there's full support from, from America to, to, well, for most of America to go in and help other countries. Right. A lot of people think, well, we're doing it. We're trying to get their oil or whatever it may be. Listen, whatever the, the, the politicians deem the reason necessary to go over there to me, I mean, I don't think anybody's ever really going to know, but the guys, the boots on the ground guys, they go there and it's, it's, it's all, it's, it's all about their team and helping other people and getting rid of those fucking terrible, terrible human beings, the Taliban that, you know, it's my God, man. Like you say, you talk about evil, evil people. You look at the cartels and you look at the Taliban, you'll never eradicate them, but you know what I mean? you bow down to them, and like you said, we become a laughing stock. They get they they they're gonna start to grow in numbers. They're gonna start, you know what I mean? And, to, and that's a scary thing, because all of a sudden they bring that shit over to the United States. You're gonna get the silent majority. That's not gonna let the politicians control it. They're not. That's just how it's gonna be. Yeah. There's gonna, you're gonna see militias. Yeah. I, I mean, I live I live up here. In, I live out in Utah right now, dude. Yeah. They come out here to to the to the Mountain West, and I don't love Utah. It's okay, but it's a very conservative state. You come out here to the Mountain West, yeah. or you go into the streets of New York City, and yeah. all of a sudden you got some, you got some, you got some fucking killers. And I'm not, listen, dude. I mean, even the gangs like, get you got your Bloods and Crips, right? If if yeah. things start to go down like that, they know their city, man. You go out here to the mountains. We know the mountains. You, it's just funny. They'll, I, part of me kind of hopes that they bring it domestic. In a, in a you know a very small part of me, just to so that people can take it to them, but shit, man, we keep doing what we're doing. They're gonna do whatever the fuck they want to do, wherever they want to do it, right? Own, they have Blackhawks. They have you know the full gambit of U.S. weaponry and arsenal at their disposal now, um, and so. Yeah, I think, you know, and the way you counter that, I think, like, just raise the next generation, raise the next generation who aren't victims, who aren't sheep-like fucking masses that are just getting fed the lines of, of fake news and bullshit media, but, Thanks. yeah, they, they know how to defend themselves, they don't fucking take shit from anyone, and I think part of that is getting kids into martial arts, it's awesome that you have your son enrolled in jujitsu. you know, I'm starting a, a training session with a new client tomorrow, a 12-year-old boy and his mom, who, I'm, I'm super pumped for that, you know, A, the mom, the single mom gets to learn how to defend herself, and it's something that they can do together and, and connect on and, and, and learn and grow together from, and B, you know, the mom gets to see her son empower himself and knows that when he turns 18 and he's out of the house, 
He's got the skill sets, the knowledge, the techniques to defend himself and the confidence is to, to live on his own and be autonomous, you know? And so it's nice. I love that. I love that dynamic of, you know, it's great. You can train with your son. How cool is that? Like that, that someday down the road, when I do feel the yearning convictions to have kids, like that will be a huge motivating factor. Like make sure they get into jujitsu, make sure they learn multiple languages, make sure they volunteer, make sure they, you know, know what it's like to sacrifice or forfeit the luxuries and freedoms that they enjoy every day uh, to help others, you know, and uh, we need more of that. We need more strong fathers like yourself to help raise the next generation um, so that we aren't a fucking nation of yeah. cowards who do not stand up for evil, but heroic, you know, upstanding citizens with moral fiber who do the right thing, even when no one's watching and don't let, you know, evil prevail. That's the hardest thing to watch. It's like, it's exactly right, man. That's exactly right. Did you meet Cade Courtley on the boat? Courtley, I don't believe so. No. So Cade was Cade was Ray's LT all you know when when he was going through the team yeah. and stuff like that. And Cade said the same thing. Cade's like, dude, because he asked me in our podcast. He he says, Riley. He goes, what percentage of of people today would you like to punch in the face? And it all started out funny, blah blah blah. And then we got we got pretty serious about it. You know, I was like, well, I think like ninety percent, just because people are inherently now. Very oh. disrespectful individuals, and he says there's no code anymore. There's no code. No code. No code. The samurai had Bushido, right? Samurai had Bushido, like death before dishonor. You literally in feudal Japan, if you disrespected someone on the street, they had full ability to draw from their saya, their katana, and run their blade right through your fucking body. Now, granted, maybe that's a little extreme. You know, someone bumps into you, should you cut them in half? Probably disrespects you your family your way of life and someone thinks they can get away with it then absolutely they deserve to get cracked in the mouth especially if that person has never tasted the battery acid like flavor of their own fucking blood because you know what that is the only thing that is going to fucking instill respect if if you think you could talk shit and you can get away with whatever you fucking want because you've never been cracked in the mouth then you're the fucking problem and you're the fucking pussified, entitled little prick that is demoralizing and neutering this fucking country. And, man, more people need to be cracked in the mouth. 100%. We That's why takes we, a mask. Yeah. You put him on the mats and strangle him with his own arm. Guess what? You're going to learn today, motherfucker. You talk shit, you're going to get hit. You know, we need more of that. We, it's, you know, we, we talk about people getting hit, right? I mean, when I was through the academy, you had a lot of young kids, you know, 21 years old. That's that they're, they're going to be career cops, but they've never yeah. been, never been hit in the face. And so when you're sitting there and you're teaching strikes and they do the stupid palm strikes, things, yes. whatever. But these kids have never even been like, just with this, just open hand bitch slapped. I mean, they, and the first time it happens, dude, they get hit. They get shook. And they don't know what to do. And so I was laughing my ass off. I was like, motherfucker. Like, my dad used to whoop my ass. I, yeah. I told my dad or my mom one day. My dad was a school administrator. He's always gone. He's a coach, whatever. Never home. So my mom's my mom's at home. And I was being an asshole like I was. And, and I said, mom, shut the hell up. I didn't know dad was home. I turned around. Dad went, I can't do it with my hat. But just basically, boom, just punched me, dude. And right there. And yeah. I, was, I, I didn't cry. Didn't cry. Didn't do yeah. anything. I just went. I like held my face. I remember it clear as day. I didn't hold my nose, didn't hold my head. I was doing this. Dude, he punched me like right right in between my eyes. And I just yeah. like held my face like this. And I went to my room and I was just like, oh shit. So then when I move out to Utah, we uh 
we came out to so we came out here came out here did i did track in college whatever but i was playing basketball and this kid he comes up to me and you know i'm from the midwest we play very rough but you know it's just hand check shit you know whatever this kid comes up i hit the ball off of him and it goes out of bounds he's like hey that's a foul and i'm like oh that's a bitch foul and i'm like on to the next one no big deal i'm like it is what it is we talk shit this kid gets all bowed up and starts getting pissed off and I turn the ball over like three possessions later and the kid gets right in my face like this and goes, nice turnover, bitch, dude. <laughs> and I, and he's, he's squared up and I went, boom, stuck, <laughs> stuck him right here. And he started bleeding and, and he was, he goes, good one, asshole. I'm calling the cops and ran off. And my boys were all there. They were all like, no, he really didn't. The guy, that guy <laughs> took a swing at him. So he got, he got stuck. Now that it's kind of funny, dude, that guy, <laughs> that guy's son is on my son's, football team right now <laughs> yeah dude he's the assistant coach and so he sees me and he won't he won't even look me in the eye and i i look very different right like i've got the tattoos and stuff now i'm, I'm not 193 pounds like i was in college but he still dude you can tell you can tell when someone when someone has put you in your place like i'll tell you the first time i ever got punched in my life and you know when i was in sixth grade mm-hmm. i could tell you his name i could tell you where i was what what i said to him even today even today. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, just there's there's no code, there's no respect, there's no it's like people are like, Oh, well, you have to you have to earn my respect. And I think that could be true, but for me, I give respect to everybody until they give me a reason not to. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's my you know, my modus operandi. That's how I operate. Like I, I treat everyone, whether it be the person sweeping the street to the president of the United States and everyone in between the same level of respect until they prove undeserving of that. And, you know, these people walk around with this arrogance or this pompousness. I mean, I see it. I'm out in the Hamptons. So some of these fucking entitled people that just think as if because they have money that I won't roll up and crack them in the face. Of course, I would never do that. I'm a civilized savage, right? Uh, I rock a lot of Mitch Aguiar's clothing on, violent hippie, and that kind of describes me uh, to the T. You know, I'm super pacifistic, transcendental, very enlightened. I love everyone, but, like, don't get it twisted. Like, you cross that threshold, there will be extreme violence, and I guarantee I'm fucking way better at violence than most of these fucking assholes out there. And that's the thing. Like, people talk shit. And then you pull over to the side of the road and you realize who you're talking shit to. And it's like, oh, now you want to fucking pipe down. Now you want to fucking cower and say it, it shouldn't take that. You should treat people with respect. I don't care if it's a dude who's 100 pounds. He eats like, looks like a fucking twig. I'm going to respect that dude. You know, I don't especially going to respect that dude because for me, I'm compassionate. Like I want to safeguard the people that can't defend themselves. And in fact, I would be the one if that dude got bullied or anyone talked shit to him or treated him any sort of way, I'd be the one fucking fighting the dude who was the asshole, right? Because that's just how we are. And I know you're the same way. Um, but now there's just this arrogance and this entitlement in society. And, you know, everyone's litigious. So, oh, you mm-hmm. talk shit, you get hit. And guess what? Now you got a lawsuit on your hands because all you're doing is defending yourself. But in the eyes of the law now, you know, it doesn't matter. And uh, that's just, that's a crazy thing. Yeah, it was, it was, it's funny that you talk about pulling over on the side of the road, right? And now you're ready to get down. You know, I, for me, I'm like, I'm first off, I'm not going to pull over unless I know that I'm I'm like, I'm I'm well equipped, right? I would never, if I would, if I had never trained, you know, hand to hand or even, you know, if if, like, if I, if I've never trained, right. And you know, if if I didn't have the tools with me for something that goes extremely South, I'm not going to put myself in that, that situation. I've got my combat knife over there. You know what I mean? Like I would never, I would never put myself in that position, especially if I have family with me, 
Yeah. It's not worth anything. Like that road rage shit, come on now. Now you do something crazy, you put a fucking round in my door and I got no kids there. All right. I know yeah. I know I know what's going down. So it's all good. But you you talk about the whole road thing, right? And I know that you weren't specifically keen on the road, but did you remember uh when Marcus Luttrell's dog, someone rolled up and they shot his dog? So fucked, man. His service dog. Yeah. And he chased these two fucking dudes down in his truck. He calls nine one one. And he's calm. Hey, dude, he's so calm. He's like, well, they just fucking murdered my dog. He goes, they got a gun and I got two of them. He goes, there's yeah. about to be a gunfight. You're about to have two bodies on your hand. Yeah. Yeah. Like people that you never know who you're fucking with. You really That's, don't. Uh, all, all of a sudden you're, you disrespect some guy that, you know, you, you say you, you know, you flipping them off, whatever, doing whatever you got to do on the road or, or you, you, you want to say something, dude, you say something to some little short Mexican guy. Guess what? Buddy might be, he might be, you know, in the cartel business. And all of a sudden he's got five friends. He's going to call up. They don't yeah. care about you. They don't care. Yeah. This is what they do. They kill, they murder, they steal. That's what they do, man. So all of a sudden that one, that one little bit of disrespect that could cost you your life. So you just not worth it. You know, it's not worth it at all. And it's, you know, it's easier to walk away from the situation than it is to get involved in it. And, Unless your your life is imminently threatened and there's no other uh, decisive action that you can take, then use extreme violence of action and force. Then you you cross that bridge when you get to it. But um, just verbal judo first and foremost. If verbal judo fails, then physical jujitsu. Physical jujitsu fails, then you know draw on your your lethal forces. But I think that's I mean that to me like you know being part of Mitch's Adopt the Cop Foundation. I think that's why it's so important you know to give LEOs the prerequisite knowledge and ability to train in a combative system like jujitsu that a creates a more humble police officer. So it's going to increase their probability of them using de-escalative tactics first and foremost. And they're going to be more confident. Yeah. More confident, not fearing for the lives, not having to draw on lethal force first and foremost, using their articulation, treating people with respect and empathy and compassion um, and humility with out ego, not oh, I'm a cop, I got a Glock and a fucking badge on. Now I'm wide airball, so I'm, and anyone who I pull over, I'm gonna fucking let them feel my wrath of being beat up for 18 years of high school. Fuck that. No, treat people with respect until the point where they're disrespecting you and you have to get physical with them. But until that threshold is crossed, de escalate, de escalate verbal judo. Then, if you do have to put hands on them, you have the physical jujitsu in place that you don't have to use a knife, you don't have to use a gun, you can safely apprehend and, and put that person down both safeguarding arrestee and arrestor and it's a win-win you know both people walk away from the situation unscathed and unharmed and so everyone should be training jiu-jitsu you know yeah. those who answer those 911 calls and yeah there's emts people that are responding to emotionally disturbed calls a lot of times the fire department or the emts are the guys who are at the scene first and foremost before the cops get there so they should definitely use and learn jujitsu as well. It should just be part of professional development for the career field, you know? Yeah. And, and for me, again, I'm not any kind of belt, right? This is a very new field for me. The actual training of jujitsu is very, yes. very new to me. Right. But, but my thing is, is you made a really good point at about the 10 minute mark when we started talking about this, you've talked about how, you know, you're not, you're not part of some gym where you pay an extra 75 bucks a month and all of a sudden you get this expedited fucking growth, right? That's not, if you find yourself a good gym and you got yourself a good instructor, 
I mean, that's that's one of the things with Cunny. Cunny's like, yeah, I just was. I'm not ready to move to move on to my brown belt. He goes, I'm not at that point. And I'm like, I love it. Like, you you don't have to tell me anything else. He he has these black belts come in and train with him, and he learns all the time. He doesn't act like he's this 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 high and mighty. I mean, he's just a very respectful human, right? Very respectful guy. He has people come in that are better than him, so he can learn. And, and I I find there's a lot of value in that for me. And so, um, I just find. Find yourself a gym, people. Find yourself a gym that beats your ass. Yeah. I mean, I mean, how else do you put it? I mean, I would never want to go in and, you know, be not coddled. I don't even know if that's the right word, but I wouldn't want to go in and have it be like an easy thing. When you get done and you're laying on the mat and you're like, holy shit, why did I do this? Your wrist is messed up. My wrist is still fucked up from a month and a half ago. I was yeah. doing, I can't remember what, what I was doing, but in the moment, you don't feel it because your adrenaline is, whoom. but yep. dude, I, the day after, I couldn't do it. I mean, I couldn't do hardly anything. Even today, when I did those push-ups with Ray, I was like, yeah, just twenty-two push-ups. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. That's the one thing with jujitsu. Like, you got to get good at listening to your body because it puts a ton of torsional forces of physical fucking just magnitude, uh, the likes of which other sports don't. And so, listening to your body, making sure that. You know, there's that meathead mentality, oh, no such thing as taking a day off. Well, most of those motherfuckers have never spent a day in a jiu-jitsu academy ever. And so, you know, yeah, you can work out and lift weights and look good in the mirror, but until you're fucking fighting for your life every day with a goddamn murderer's row of strangle artists and your joints are being manipulated and hyperextended, then you really can't fucking talk. So those people take a hike. But second to that, yes, no days off in the sense that like you can always do something. So when I'm nursing my injuries from jujitsu, which I am right now, you know, uh, pinch nerves in my back, my neck, um, slight bicep strain and tear in my brachioradialis, my bicep tendon, um, torn meniscus off record. If the investigator asks you, um, I'm good. And I've got a clean bill of health. But, uh, no, uh, I already, I already, I fought Gareth on the boat. We, we rolled, he bought my ass. So don't worry, Mr. <laughs> investigator. Uh, fully functioning and capable, but needless to say, um, you know, uh, injuries that are minuscule, right. But if you don't address them, they become the micro injuries become macro injuries, and then you're not able to train at all. So just listen to your body, listen to your body, uh, make sure you're adequately resting, recovering, supplementing, you know, you should be taking BCAAs, you should be taking whey protein, you should be taking your pre-workout, you need that extra boost of energy, um, and making sure, yeah. You're, you're, you're whatever company you, you use, I personally use massive uh, line of supplements, um, great products, um, pharmaceutical great ingredients, but whatever it is, just treat your body um, like you would treat a fucking seven series BMW. Treat it like the high performance machine that it is. Eat well, sleep adequately, you know, deep tissue massages, yoga, mindfulness, meditation, and you'll yield exceptionally high caliber performance. And so I think that's where, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's a good spot though. Any anything you wanted to add or Yeah, no man, it was I mean, it I, I think that, that that's pretty much everything. I mean, you know, and I'll I'll let you talk for I'm gonna say I'm gonna have ask you one more question here and then I mean we'll, we're gonna call it good, but cool. Gareth, for you, all the things that you've done up in your life up to this point, right? Yeah. Your business your business successes, your business failures, everything like that. What would you say to someone that like I told you earlier, I mean, what would you say to someone that that maybe is good at the couple of things that they do, but they haven't found the one thing 
that they 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 want to do for the rest of their lives the one thing that is that they're very extremely passionate about i mean what would you tell someone like that yeah so i think like the ultimate synergy is when you could fuel your passion and turn that into a profession you know monetize it in some way shape or form so that you've figured out what it is you enjoy doing in life and then make that enjoyable passion into a monetized profession so i think that is ultimately what we all strive to do um but it's about creating a lifestyle that you want you know if you had one more day left to live would your day and what you're doing in that day be exactly what you want to do? And if it's not, then don't fucking do it. If you're in a dead end job where you're miserable and you hate your boss and you feel like you're just a cog in the wheel, get a new job. You know, if you're in a relationship where, you know, there's an end in sight and you don't see a potential future, then get out of that relationship. You know, um, if you're, surrounding yourself with a group of individuals that they're your homies from high school or college, but they're negative and they bring nothing of equity to the table, find a new group of fucking friends, you know, surround yourself with quality people, you know, um, experience life to, to the fullest form possible and find a tribe of individuals that support you in your endeavors. And, you know, they keep it real and they, they give you honest, you know, uh, criticisms to make you better but find yourself a tribe of people that are positive and, and are of value and of equity. And if you do that, then you'll live a lot more meaningful of existence and just find something you're passionate about, whether it be art, music, jujitsu, you know, you name it. Find something you're passionate about, make that your tribe. And then from there, you'd be shocked and surprised as to the amount of networking that that'll facilitate and and enable you to, you know, create as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, as someone who's a podcaster, right? The people that you meet through your passion, because you'll be in your most pure, like, flow state, the universe will just kind of open up for you in ways you never thought were possible. Mm -hmm. You said a key word. You know, like volunteering for the GI Go Fund Swim, and, you know, supporting an admirable cause to raise money for homeless veterans and support, you know, Navy SEALs and Patriots as they swam across the Hudson, you know. Man, I worked freaking till 4 a.m. the night before. I got maybe two, three hours of sleep, but didn't mean I was going to miss it. You know, I wanted to be there because I wanted to help and serve a cause greater than myself. And that facilitated us to meet and that enabled me with this awesome opportunity to be on your podcast. So, like, pursuing your passions and the things that you love and enjoy um, and kind of surrendering to the universe. Sometimes we fight too much and we, we create too much resistance. And that resistance pushes, pushes us away from our divine path and what the universe is showing us should be our path. And so sometimes being present, sometimes meditating, um, praying on things to kind of see if, you know, God or whatever spiritual being can show you the, the way, but also just getting comfortable and in touch with yourself is super important. And, yeah. uh, doing things you're passionate about, you'll feel more comfortable in your own skin. You'll feel more confident and you'll live a life worth living. So yep, absolutely. And everybody, I'm going to, I'm going to piggyback on that before we end this thing. Gareth made a, he, he said a, a very key word in, in our industries, it's network. I mean, he said, get out and network, find the people in your circle, learn from them, um, find out what they do well, what they don't do well, key on those things, get yourself a whiteboard. I mean, I, you know, I've got this over here. I'm not going to show you all my, all my notes. I've got your name on there. I've got Sean Whalen and all those guys. So you, you make, make goals, you know, set goals, meet those goals, make new ones. Just keep going, keep getting better. Um, you know, Gareth, Gareth's all, Gareth, I appreciate you, brother. I appreciate you coming on. This has been a blast. Gareth and I, we will be doing some things in the future. Uh, both with each other. We're going to be collaborating with some other 
um, some other people in our industries. And there's a very good possibility that professionally we, you know, we may end up linking up down the road. So Gareth, I appreciate you, man. Um, if there's ever anything that I can do for you, if there's ever anybody that you think should come on and, and talk about certain issues, text me, call me, let me know. We'll, uh, we'll get them on. Yeah. I appreciate the open forum and the, the opportunity to just express ourselves freely. And, you know, this is an amazing platform that you created and I, I look forward to future conversations, you know, both, both on mic and off and, uh, you know, a lifelong friendship brother. So thank you again, man. Yes, sir, brother. Yes, sir. All right, guys. Appreciate you guys. We'll see you.